Welcome to What's the Deal? It's our investment banking podcast on Making Sense, the hub for JP Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of What's the Deal, we'll be exploring the trends that drive deal making today and see what's really transforming industries the world over, from tech disruption to geopolitics and more. Hello, everybody. My name is Stephen Dulake. I'm responsible for credit research, securitized products research, and public finance research here at JP Morgan. I'm joined today by Kevin Foley, our global head of debt capital markets here at JP Morgan. And this is the latest edition of What's the Deal, where we're going to focus on recent market developments from a capital market perspective and what it means for companies, their balance sheets, and their liability structures going forward. We've seen interest rate volatility and market volatility previously, but certainly some of the scale, the scale of the moves that we've seen across various asset classes. What is the art of the possible and what can or can't you get done in capital markets today? And I guess the, the look back period here would be to naturally 2021 when it felt like capital market conditions were much more accommodative. And a subtext to that, I wanted to ask in particular how tough or not it, it is right now for cyclical businesses and digital growth companies to raise financing. So over to you with that first question. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining and listening to this podcast. When you look across both high-grade and leveraged finance, we've come off an incredible refinancing wave over the past few years. And you saw fortifying of balance sheets, pushing out of maturities across the markets and coming off record volumes that there's not a lot of people that have to be in the market, right? There is a much more opportunistic and with rates moving, some people have locked in low rates that pushed out the maturity, not a reason to be out there. You're going to be more tied to M&A activity or investment projects that just have to be done right now. And you're just going to accept that's where the cost of doing business is. We're seeing a lot of pressure in the loan market in terms of just the discounts. And that's heavily driven by the fact that secondary markets have traded well off. And if you can buy something at a discount and you're looking at compared to a primary issuance, you're going to want to see a similar level of discount. And that's helped drive total return from a lender's perspective in the loan market. In the bond market, right, it's usually going to come down to total yield. We've seen the high yield index. To give some context to listeners that the JP Morgan Global High Yield Index sits at almost 9.5% today. The 52-week low on that was 4.5%. The hardest thing for any lender or investor to price is a level of uncertainty is what is the timing for the recession? How deep will the recession be? Do I have more downside and where secondaries are trading? And that makes it the hardest environment for someone to go out and step into a new issue. Having said that, we are getting stuff done. It is taking some surgery of tightening up terms. It is widening out on price, but people are deploying capital. To your question about credit quality and the nature of the credit, certainly there is a favor towards stuff that people feel like they have a good understanding of how it is going to cycle in a downturn. It's got history in the credit markets that helps, but they really do want to understand what is going to be the impact in a slowdown. And that's obviously favoring certain credits versus others. 
I think we're also seeing that come through a way people think about leverage because some of the discounting that we're seeing in the primary market is based on here, this is just too much leverage. And their price is getting driven by the fact that they view maybe that's a quarter half term, too much leverage given where we may be going into. So that is heavily driving investor behavior and lender behavior today. I think that is here for the foreseeable future. We've got a fair amount of supply that's out there that still has to come to the market to clear. And we're going to work through that over the next three or four months. And that's going to heavily dictate where other things will come. I think the other thing that's a little bit of a challenge right now is doing things in size. Because of these dynamics, when you start to get into your bigger size deals, obviously you can't afford to lose many in the market when you start to get to some of your jumbo deals. And that makes it tricky. So there's a lot of behavior there that I think we have a ways to play out over the next few months. Thank you. I wanted to move on to ask you a little bit about the sort of private credit space and more from the perspective of the repricing of public markets that we've seen. And in your opinion, to what extent does that raise the attractiveness of public markets relative to private markets when we've been in this world where there's been this huge focus on alternatives, including private credit markets? And does that also mean you think that some of the, the sort of capital in the very broadest sense is now becoming much more fungible or can become much more fungible across the public and private arenas? Yeah, I'll take that last one first because there's definitely been an increase of fungibility in seeing that money move around. And we're seeing a lot of direct lenders come into our market. So the waters get pretty muddy as you get mixed the cross-section of investors pretty quickly. When you look at a lot of those who may define themselves as direct lenders, they've been lenders we've been partnering with for years in buying stuff and broadly syndicated, and they just have different pockets. In terms of where we were at the start of the year and all of 21 was direct lending in general was wider pricing to where the broadly syndicated market was. And when people were choosing to go down the path of a direct lender route, they were forgoing the auction process and they were leaving money on the table, frankly. They were pricing on something wider for perhaps there are the view of maybe simplicity or less of a hassle. Not so sure if speed would be an argument, but some may make that argument that it was a little bit faster. What has happened over the past month is as the broadly syndicated markets pricing has widened out, that dynamic has flipped where private is actually cheaper right now. But I think that's a factor of they've been slower to adjust their pricing. So I think there's a combination of things that will happen there as some people may go explore private that's going to take pricing down and wider. You're also going to see some of the direct lenders were saying, you know, they're seeing opportunities because of your point of coming over into the public markets. They're seeing better opportunity there and deploying capital there. I think that is a temporary dynamic that's working itself through. I still think we revert to what, what I'll call is the norm, where public is always going to be cheaper than private. If you look at pure supply-demand dynamics, 
I think this is a unique situation right now, and I think it is going to start to line up over time. And then as we get some stabilization in the market, we don't necessarily have to go back to where we were from a pricing standpoint, more just stabilization and less volatility. I think you start to see the broadly syndicated market, that auction function kick in again and come inside private again. Kevin, what I wanted to talk about was how are you thinking about the interaction between declining stock prices and equity market multiples on the one hand and wider spreads and all in higher financing costs? How is that likely to influence management teams thinking, private equity thinking, and what are we likely to see over the next six to 12 months as a result in capital markets? So a couple things in there. First, I'd say that the credit markets were definitely slower in responding to the pullback in the equity markets, right? When the start of the year, the equity sell-off was heavily driven on your higher growth names. Maybe they were a beneficiary of COVID to just your higher multiple tech names that were just viewed as lofty valuations and pulling back on that. And that that's really where we kind of played and it felt like in the first quarter credit was more resilient, even with the tech names that we had in credit, they were more resilient because their view was there were such high multiples on that, those names that you still had a lot of equity cushion when you were looking at the leverage in the tech space in our markets. As it progressed, obviously, it, the sell-off has broadened out as the concern has shifted much more to the inflationary pressure are their central banks going to be able to get that under control quickly? Are they going to be able to do that in the soft landing or not? That has broadened out and we've had a significant valuation correction. What we are getting a lot more inbound because you're right that people, whether it's a management team who's looking at, hey, my stock is undervalued to sponsors saying, well, great stuff that I was looking at six months ago is a lot cheaper. I think the challenge is there is a couple of things. One, if you look at a sponsor who may be going into a company, they're still looking at what their 52-week high was on evaluation, whether it's a public or private company, and they're still working through the emotion of, here, I'm not going to get what I thought I could get X number of months ago, and I've got to adjust my expectations on valuation. And we generally will think, if you talk to our M&A colleagues, they'd say that could be a six to nine-month process of kind of working that through. We are starting to get some more inquiries from just a publicly traded entities who a CEO is looking at what's happened to their stock and saying, my business is still performing well. The growth projections still feel good. Saying, why can't I think about doing something because it feels like the market's not giving me full value. That gets into then, all right, how much debt can you raise? And when you start to get into some of the constraints right now with the downward pressure on price. So working through that and saying, here, what is the art of the possible? It is not the same art that we had a couple of months ago in terms of size. I think that's a temporary dynamic. I do think as we start to settle in, that size will grow. So those opportunities will be there. From a sponsor standpoint, who will tend to be doing a little more financial engineering about how they think about the capital structure and what leverage they can put on it. Valuations coming down is good from an opportunity to buy. But it also probably means leverage is coming down. And you're also looking at your cost of capital is going up. And so how's that impact your returns? That also is a process to work through. There's still a fair amount of inquiry and we're having discussions. And I'd say, is it the same level of activity that we saw a few months ago? 
No, but there are things still happening. And then obviously I think you have to be more selective because it is going to be favor the more defensive businesses where people feel comfortable about how they're going to perform in the credit markets, what can get done. Thank you. You alluded to the sort of change in loan market conditions, and I sort of wanted to push you on that a little bit more in terms of how you're thinking about loans versus bonds or bridge books and some of the commitments that firms have made and the discounts they need to offer to bring those deals to market. There's obviously some conversation around CLO warehouses, and as you mentioned, constraining CLO formation. So how do you sort of wrap all those things together and assess loan market conditions and your ability to get things done in the loan market versus the bond markets? If you can share some of the flavors of those conversations that you're having with potential issuers right now. So the loan market is, is facing the dynamic, as you mentioned, the CLO formation being muted because you're just not getting that new money coming to the asset class. What was viewed as a asset class that was the attractive because of rates going up is not seeing the same inflows because 60% of that market is CLO driven. So that's a key factor here, despite the fact that rates are still expected to go up and this is your largest floating rate asset class to deploy capital. The other factor that's having a impact on loan pricing and putting downward pressure on issuance prices, not necessarily on a spread, meaning having to a heavy discount from that secondary market we talked about earlier about where those things are trading is putting downward pressure. But there's also an overhang of paper to come. So there's 90 plus billion of underwritten paper on the street right now. It's probably concentrated with five or six deals that are 50, 60% of it. Those are some sizable deals that the market is going to look as litmus tests for where we are and where things can get done. You will see some people holding back from deploying capital from a lender standpoint of saying, I want to see where some of that stuff gets done because that's really going to be a defining moment of where the market is in pricing. So I think there's a little bit of let me hold back and see how things develop before I put a ton of capital to work. I think that's going to be a good opportunity for me. So I'm going to maintain the dry powder. Those things are being a, a bit of an overhang. I think it puts a little bit of a lid on where the market, if we were to get a rally, it puts a little bit of a lid on the market of how it can rally because that overhang's got to come. We think that's largely going to play out over the next three to four months. The biggest one being Citrix, which is expected to come over the summer season. Twitter is out there, a little unclear exactly when that will come. And there's a number of other deals that the market is anticipating. The other thing just related to the underwrite pipeline, when you look at that underwritten paper, today it represents 2 3% of the total outstanding market. So it's a very manageable level. And if you think on average, an investor or a lender is going to kind of run at 5% cash balances. The market can digest that. That becomes a pricing exercise. You have to figure out prices to clear that. And that may not be a positive for banks who are holding that paper, but it will clear at a price and it will move on. Thank you. My last question, I wanted to sort of hone in a little bit on the sort of cohort of, let's say, big companies that have liquidity on balance sheets. And there's obviously a lot of term de jour is liability management and the extent to which these companies should be tendering for 
the deeply discounted debt in some cases and whether companies should think slightly differently about their deeply dis discounted debt and they should consider it as a little bit more of an asset to have in their capital structure. So how do you see the balance between those two things? Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma. What I'd first say is for any of our issuer clients, we should be having the conversation about where your debt is trading and the ability to pick up some of that in the open market and potentially retire it at a significant discount. It will come into an interesting discussion of here, I issued at something that was a very attractive rate that arguably over time even look even better if we believe where rates are going and say, do I want to forgo this unique opportunity where things are selling at a discount and retire some of that in lieu of just locking in that long-term capital? And I think obviously that is going to be in the, the eye of the CFO or treasurer capital markets person, whoever's making that decision of saying, here, this is the right move for me longer term. But I think the bottom line right now is that you need to be looking at it because there are significant discounts there. At the very least, you should understand your options. The discussion has to be had because the opportunity is there. Obviously, we don't know where markets are going. This could be a fleeting opportunity. That's going to be an opportunity that goes lower too. So we'll see. But I think that's something we should be having conversation with all our clients. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for your time. And that concludes this edition of What's the Deal? Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, everyone. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe to What's the Deal, as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. This material was prepared by the investment banking group of J.P. Morgan Securities, LLC, and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.